Hello there. Welcome to the Maker Manager Money Podcast, a podcast about entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, founders, business owners, and business partnerships. From startups to stay-ups, to inspire entrepreneurs to keep going and future entrepreneurs to just start. My name is Kyle Knowles, and it's a Wednesday evening at Kiln Park City. What a vibe we've got here. We're in the pink conference room. Kiln is the GOAT. They are the Michael Jordan of co-working communities. Today's guest is Melanie Webb with two Bs. That's W-E-B-B. She's a powerhouse in health and fitness. Melanie was raised in Orem, Utah, went to BYU, spent a year as an environmental consultant in Washington, D.C., then seamlessly transitioned into the fitness industry, eventually founding WebWell and creating the innovative WebWell app. She's not your typical personal trainer. Melanie takes fitness beyond the gym, leading outdoor fitness adventures that blend the physical with nature. Her unique approach, drawing from her rigorous science background at BYU and her experience as a wildlife biologist, has redefined personal training for successful business professionals, especially those sacrificing personal wellness for career success. Melanie's story is one of bold risks and transformations from quitting a master's in nutrition to working at the famous Equinox Gym in D.C., frequented by high-profile politicos. Let's dive into Project U with Melanie Webb, a true innovator at the intersection of fitness, nature, and technology. Welcome to the podcast, Melanie. Wow. Thank you, Kyle. What an intro. Thanks for having me in the pink room at Kiln Park City. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's so nice. It's so nice in here. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a lovely evening in Park City, and I, I just love Kiln. I love the vibe here. Uh, you just feel creative as soon as you wa- start walking into a Kiln, any Kiln. And they have great networking events. We were talking about earlier some of the events, and uh, it just so happens that someone you met in a networking event introduced us. And uh, he said that you would be a great guest uh, to be on the podcast. So very impressive, your background, the things that you're doing. Can we just go to the app, this WebWell app? Can we just talk about that first? Yeah, let's skip right to the juicy juicy app that took me a couple of years to uh, get approval in the Apple store. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well, I should say from start to finish, from inception to creation, to um, getting through the submission and approval process. Um, yeah, what a journey. What a what a um, exercise in fortitude and resilience and all of the things. And when did you launch the app then? How uh, long ago was Technically, the, the app was launched about almost two years ago as a free app. Okay. And, you know, we were just... My between my digital partners and I working through the payment, the paywall and their structure. Um, so technically the app hit the pro subscription, basically the, the monthly subscription yeah. two months ago. Okay. So it's a new release and we are gunning for Google Android, um, we're in the Google store, yeah. but um, we're not there yet. So currently it's available in the Apple store only. But we think within the next couple of months, we should have beta in, in Android. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So tell me, like, what does the app do? So the WebWell app is, it's my version of what fitness should look like. So um, rather than build brick and mortar, I built an app is what I like to say. But if you came to brick and mortar to work with me, this is what you'd encounter. You would encounter a movement studio that had all of the basics broken down important body weight movements that become building blocks of every other workout. Then you have workouts everywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes long and then warm ups and cool downs. So that comprises the, uh, the movement studio section. And then there's the recovery room, which is where you go to access the breath work, the meditations, the soundscape, nature scapes, um, gong sound baths, crystal bowls, things um, like the latest, I'm trying to play with evidence-based tools. Mm-hmm. We we now know so much about how these things impact our mental health and our physical well-being. So everything you'll find on WebWell is tried and tested and a bit timeless. Um, these are the tools I've used with clients for decades now. Um, there's also specialty programming. So there's 21-day challenges for 
um, beginner, advanced, and intermediate exercisers. So you have up to 90 days programs to just pick from and do. Um, there's uh, one of my favorite pieces of content on the app is a, it's actually a 15 piece walkthrough of how to use self myofascial release techniques like foam rollers and balls and things like that to keep, get yourself, you know, between massages, you could look at it like that. So say the word again, <laughs> self myler fascia. I don't know what it is. That's what, a big word. It? It's is called, it, it's called, is it your back? Is it, what, what is it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. This is the acronym, which a lot of people in fitness have probably seen is S F M R self myofascial release. So okay. um, you may have seen a foam roller yes. in a gym yeah. or a trigger point ball. Um, so think of fascia as the casing in a sausage, right? Our muscles are wrapped in this casing that gives us form. Without that fascia, we would be blobs of meat on skeleton with no form. So it's, um, you know, everyone should know that you're wrapped in fascia and that you can do things on your own to release to give yourself, um, um, you know, more symmetry, better function, less pain. That's critical. So anyone who's active is consistently building tightness and tension in the body. Anyone working on the computer every day, all day is building a lot of tension through the front body. So there's ways that you can release that on your own. You don't have to always go to get a massage. And that's one of the modules in yes. the app. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, I would think that wellness programs would be interested in this. Is that the target audience or is it who, who is the target audience? Great question. So um, I absolutely am, am looking to partner with corporations who have wellness benefits in their offerings to their employees who are interested in the, you know, um, moving the needle on their employee well-being across both physical and uh, mental metrics. Um, but also this is for entrepreneurs. These are a lot of my clients through the decades have been self-made business people. So again, these are the workouts that I do with them in the gym. And um, it's not just me on the app either. I actually have had 13 different colleagues contribute content. Um, so the content and the quality is phenomenal. And it's not just in my style. There's different styles here. So um, this is for anybody. This is available anytime from anywhere there is a strong flavor of nature. So I do think it will really appeal to people who appreciate that or even want to experience more nature, even though they can't get there. If that makes sense. Does that mean you film some of these things outdoors? I yes. assume. Okay. Yes. A lot nice. of the content was filmed outdoors. So it's also so far all of the content with the exception of one or two pieces. Um, you really can do them anywhere. You could do them in your home garage. Um, there are body weight movements and then there are functional exercises that have weights, but nothing, nothing with big gym equipment required. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love it. And and this is the culmination, really. This is your, I don't know, I, I want to say magnum opus <laughs> or something like that for a writer, right? This is, yeah. this is a culmination of, like you said, decades of being a personal trainer, working with people and, and understanding what people need uh, from workouts, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I've been a certified personal trainer now for 25 years and that's, you know, after graduating with my bachelor's degree. So 30 years on top of growing up as an athlete and spending a lot of time in physical therapy myself after injuries and, um, chronic injuries as an athlete. So yeah, a lot has gone into this. It's, it's kind of like my grand vision, right? Um, right. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was extremely creative. Um, I really enjoyed every aspect of it. And, and what was, you know, like I mentioned, it was challenging. It was challenging because I, um, a lot of components were not in my control, but what was really fun for me was writing the programs. And, um, you know, even I've had a lot of experience getting behind the camera before, um, so I was comfortable doing that. I had some friends who were producers and news anchors set me up and say, look, all you need is a great iPhone. <laughs> um, <Nice. laughs> you know, get yourself a, a tripod and a lavalier mic and go to work, Kamel. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so they came out and met with me and we did a few, um, a few practice sessions. Um, and then I just went to work. But, you know, the process of working with graphic designers and 
um, for the look and feel, that was a blast. And uh, my digital partners are best in class. This is a phenomenal platform. Um, this is not an off the rack platform, which a lot of personal training apps are. And I think that's wonderful because every everyone in fitness needs to adapt right now. It's a really disruptive time. And we need to be working with hybrid models to reach our clients and serve them. Um, but this is custom. This is beautiful. And there's, there's very few apps out there like this um, in terms of the way it can present the content. So even down to organizing the content, um, I'm a little nerdy like that. I really, I really get into how you organize the content flow to coordinate with the graphic designer and everybody else. So um, even that part was fun for me. So you were pretty hands-on with the development then? I was extremely hands-on. Do you want to yeah. give any shout outs to designers or uh, agencies here oh, I, that helped you? Oh, I do. So my digital partners are Catalyst XL. Um, people, entrepreneurs here who are tech will know uh, Mark Russell. He founded Catalyst XL and the platform is called Cardware and they're based out of Detroit. Big shout out to them because the platform won platform of the year from TechBuzz a year ago. Wow. And um, Mark was named one of the top um, top tech entrepreneurs in the world five years ago. That's amazing. Yeah. So for me to, when Mark reached out to me on LinkedIn, I was like, wait, wait, who, what? <laughs> I think I better, I think I better take this one. Nice. Yeah. It and was so, amazing. so did you already have the idea or like, how did, how did it come together once he reached out to you then? Um, so this is fun. We were talking about AI before we started recording. Right. And, yeah. um, so, uh, in two, fall of 2019, right? So this is pre-COVID. I was actually healing from a severe concussion, actually post-concussive syndrome. So I was on I was on the timeout bench. I wasn't able to work for at least six months while my eyes and my brain were healing. Wow. And it was really a it was a terrible time for me because I've I'm just a worker bee. I've been very defined by my work. So it was one of those moments where I'm like, who am I when I can no yeah. longer do the thing that I've always done? Right. right? And my it, I had to really do a lot of self-examining. Um, but in addition to that, I was, I was having these vivid dreams through this healing process and I had a dream. Um, I dream in a lot of symbols and I am such, you know, the former biologist in me and um, the nature girl in me. I often dream in animal and nature symbols. So I dreamt of an owl wearing a tech, it had a tech panel on its breast flying in and then, and then it started interacting with it like morphed and transformed. Right. And then there was a tiger beetle and then there was a fish and it swam away. And of course a fish is a very powerful spiritual symbol. So to me, this dream was something I was working with and I was just, you know, I would think about it and be inspired about it and think like, what, did, what does this mean for me? And there was actually an owl that would hoot outside my window here in park city that I would hear often. But anyway, I took it to mean like technology, like something's coming and I need to use technology as a way to share my wisdom. Um, this wisdom that I've been accruing throughout my life um, as a person who's been very in my body. Um, so when Mark reached out that spring, there it was like, I felt like I felt like that was what I had been looking for because I didn't, um, I wasn't quick and I'm still not, you know, to jump on YouTube, maybe that's a marketing mistake. <laughs> um, but I knew that that wasn't it. That wasn't it. But when the app opportunity came along, that was it. So w w was he pitching you at the idea of making an app? He knew you're a personal trainer through LinkedIn and, and pitched the idea of make a personal training app. Well, it, uh, yeah, in, okay. in some form or another, Mark's a visionary. And yeah. what he saw was an emerging market in fitness and wellness. So we're talking pre-COVID. Wow. And That's really cool. And he asked me to be an early adopter on the platform and help his team develop an app that they could then sell to others in the fitness and wellness market. And they have. So we have done that. And um, that's it was an amazing opportunity. That's really great. So yeah. what differentiates your app? Is it is it the nature side or what? What, what, what are some of the things that differentiate your app? Great question. Certainly the, certainly embracing nature as a critical component in our well-being is, is probably my, probably what I'm known for and, and a territory that I've been able to claim as a trainer. Um, 
And again, that goes back to my background. I think it goes back to being raised in Utah, um, you know, kind of running wild in Orem, Utah with Tim Pinogas mm-hmm. out my back window and then landing in Washington, D.C. after working as a biologist in southern Utah for five years in these wild and spectacular places. And I just knew what I had, was missing, even though I loved that urban environment for seven years. And there is beautiful nature there, but it it wasn't wild. Um, that wasn't the wild part of D.C., so um, anyway, I wrote a book called Mother Nature's Gym. Eventually, I published that in 2019. And it's um, the ultimate guide to how to plan and lead your your own outdoor fitness retreat. So it's a um, it's available for continuing education credits to other fitness professionals to help them. Say you have a spin instructor. Most spin instructors actually love to ride their bikes. Outside. An, outside, right? Yeah. So this can help them. If any spin instructor wants to take their class and go to Bordeaux and go wine tasting, this teaches them how to do that. So that was a chapter that I had when clients in D.C. started asking me to bring them back to Utah to take them on their bucket list adventures. So we would train in the gym in D.C. I'd help them buy their gear. And then we would come out to Utah and I had, um, you know, from my prior experience as a as an environmental consultant and wildlife biologist, I knew how to work with federal and state agencies to get the proper permits. And I became an outfitter and guide. I would train my clients in the gym and then we would come out and spend a week exploring. So backpacking um, in Zion or, you know, higher end stay in nice hotels here in Park City and Deer Valley and go biking and hiking every day. And uh, I just noticed that these really power playing very ultra successful and influential clients of mine were totally different people outdoors. And I wondered why and um, started picking up on any kind of research that was out there that was studying this interaction between nature and the human mind. And this was like, you know, 2007 that I started guiding trips. So there really wasn't any research out there. I just had to go off of experience and what I saw and what I knew from my lifestyle. And it was just really fun. And the feedback I got from people was like, wow, I, I can finally exhale. <laughs> I can finally like relax for a minute. Um, so that's what I started seeing. And then it wasn't until about 2014 that, that um, you know, there were people in fact doing scientific research um, but that just wasn't available for almost a decade later. And so were, was it really hard for them to go back in the gym? Like, so you're training them in the gym and then you take them on an outdoor <laughs> adventure. Was it like, oh, a little sitting bit. on an exercise bike <laughs> with no scenery and just looking at, you know, five other dudes, you know, biking away or sweating away? What? Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily I wasn't a spin instructor, so I have... Um, they never had to sit on a bike or a treadmill okay, or with me, but yeah, but yeah you know it was I mean? gym equipment. Yeah. I trained, I trained downtown, um, in downtown DC, um, right on the border of Georgetown. It was, um, at the sports club LA at the time it later got bought by Equinox, which people will know is like the premier luxury sports club and gym in America. Um, these are very elite places and, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're huge, you know, 30,000 square foot facilities. Um, and it, although in DC it was somewhat entertaining, like you could be looking out the window and seeing CIA screaming down the road with machine guns out the door at any given moment, you wow. could see a, the motorcade, the presidential motorcade going by. Um, <laughs> it was usually somewhat entertaining. And like, like you mentioned in the bio, there were powerful politicos there. It wasn't unusual to see the, you know, secretary of the department of defense come in and set up his four blackberries on his treadmill and go to work. (laughs) (laughs) So it was an entertaining place, but yeah, they were bummed for sure. But these were, these were professional people, um, you know, who I, I 100% they had been there, done that. They had been to every spa. They were sick and tired of plugging themselves into group classes all day long you know, that's kind of the formula at a lot of these places and not to poo poo them at all. There's a lot of spectacular, amazing places. I've been there myself, but you don't want to do that all the time. Um, and when people found out that I was from Utah and that I had been a biologist for five years in Southern Utah, they wanted to experience the places that I knew intimately. So, um, I was able to really get them 
get them out of their comfort zone. And that's what's cool about being both a personal trainer and an outdoor guide. And hopefully people experience this in the app. Like, I want to be your guide to experience transformation. I don't want to just create choreography and create a Hollywood production feel that's perfect to the T. That's not what you're going to encounter on Webwell. You're going to encounter really high quality um, work, but um, it's the real thing. And that's where we're going to impact people and create real change in people's lives. And what, what are, what is the secret when you talk about as a personal trainer, what is the secret to changing someone's life? How, how do they change? That's such a powerful question. And there's so much, um, there's so much on the person's side that they must take responsibility for. And I can partner with the person and I can share my, I can bring my best self and all of the wisdom and knowledge I have, um, to be their person, if you will. And it's a very emotional process as well. You're dealing with bodies and, you know, bodies hold trauma. We know that now. Bodies hold every emotional experience we've ever had. Um, the body, in my opinion, is the greatest gift that we have to experience this life. And so many people are not comfortable in their bodies that it's a complete act of trust to turn yourself over to somebody and say, please take me through this next hour safely. Please don't hurt me. And please help me create the changes I need to make so I can feel good in this body because I probably don't. And I think having the empathy and the sensitivity and uh, humanity to, to really accept what someone's offering you when they come to you and ask for that. Um, it takes a really special kind of person and the colleagues that I've been able to interact with in my career are some of the most wonderful people. And we will often talk about the love we have for our clients. And it's this beautiful reciprocal um, relationship that you build. And by all means, the fact that I'm an entrepreneur now is because I was mentored by my clients and it's a very two way street. Um, and one, one of the things that I love now working with my clients and that I always loved in Washington, D.C. was um, the respect that I have received from my clients and saying, look, Mel, this is what you studied. You're the expert. You just make this hour worth my time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these are busy people. Yeah. They don't have time to waste wondering what they should be doing to get fit. Um, so there, there's a huge accountability factor. No, most people don't like most people trainers work with may not like to work out or they may love it and they really want you to get them to the next level. It's one or the other, right? So, so you have to take someone who, you know, especially in DC, like they don't really want to be there. No, they don't want to be in the gym, but they know that if they don't take care of themselves, they do not take care of their employees. They do not take care of their family. They do not bring home the money that creates the lifestyle that they really love and enjoy. So these were really hardworking people. And what I saw them do is take, and what I think I've learned to do as a trainer is help them take those elements that have helped them succeed in their career and apply it now to this process of being in the body. And being in the body means not being a disembodied head on a body, right? Explain the, explain <laughs> the, dif explain the difference then. I think a lot of people are just running around with noisy brains refusing to sit still and listen to what's going on in there. It's just what, what can I, what can I grab to make myself feel better? Um, what's the news cycle telling me? Um, it's gotten worse, right? Um, over time, there's so much, so much noise coming at us. Um, but uh, again, going back to the body and the way that a lot of us experience the body or don't, a lot of people have had bad experiences in their body. So, being in tune with it and connecting with it is a scary thing. Um, maybe somebody has phobias, you know, um, so I bump up against that as a trainer and you've got to always be prepared for it to show up um, in unexpected ways, but disembodied I basically means, um, you know, the inability to really be present with oneself. 
And is it also being aware of your body and what your body's telling you as well? Or yeah. like, how does that, the mind body, what's your kind of explanation of how the mind and the body work together? Uh, so I want to share a quote from a man named Max Strom. He was, uh, excuse me, he's a powerful breathwork coach now and transformational coach. Um, my understanding is he started in LA in the first wave of yoga and all that. Um, but he has a saying it's, and I want to add to this, the Melanie Webb flair of nature, right? <laughs> but the days of speaking of the body, the mind and the emotions and all add nature as four separate entities are over. So the days of speaking of the body, the mind, the emotions and nature as four separate entities are over. Meaning that we now know that there is no separating mind, body, emotions. The body stores emotions. Um, there's, yes, the brain, as I learned it during my concussion recovery, this I was like, I used to say like central command is down. <laughs> I had a lot of um, cognitive impairment and everything that you learn really fast when you have a concussion, what the brain controls and your nervous system and everything else. Um, but I used exercise to heal my brain. And it, and it was through, uh, it wasn't just my application. I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know what I was dealing with. So I had some really phenomenal experts here in Park City guiding me through this process. But, um, um, you know, there there's connections. If I, if I just get down to the nitty gritty of cells, there are cells next to muscles that send a message to your brain to, that tell it where it is in space. Right. The, the body doesn't move without the brain's involvement, even though much of it is involuntary. Um, but then and then there's the thinking brain. Right. So all, all that is happening unconsciously. You don't have to ask your body unless you've had an injury. And then anyone who's had an injury knows that retraining process of getting range of motion back is practice and discipline and work and pain. Um, but um, but the thinking brain is a totally different animal. Right. Um, like in Buddha's Vipassana. Uh, which is a meditation style. Um, they talk about the raging bull. The mind is a raging bull. It's it's running to one side and then to the other. You've heard of monkey mind, I'm sure. That's just cognitive. Those are just thoughts. That's what the brain does is think. Um, but but the connection between body and mind is much more powerful and deeper than that. Um, and it can be trained. Anybody can experience this. And then and then the emotions, which I talked about, and then the nature, which. Um, works to calm our front, frontal cortex is that front part of the brain. I'm touching my brain from at the front of my head for those who are listening, but not watching. Um, you know, that's, that's where cognitive thinking takes place. We now know that when you step foot outside, that quiets down. And you might notice this if you go for a, a walk outside in for nature, sure. right? They call yeah. it pink noise now. And there's all these apps mm. out there that are um, even serious radio now, which I have a subscription to and love. They have all these nature sounds streaming. Um, Why do they call it pink noise? Then? Pink is noise it, is nature noise. Is it is it like birds and, and other things or what? what is it? I just realized we're in the pink room. We're in the pink room. <laughs> we <laughs> should be hearing some pink noise. <laughs> we I don't know if we are. I'll, we can try the, the Topo <laughs> Chico <laughs> yeah, physics. Get a, get some, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that's pink noise. Mm. Yeah, pink noise is bird sound. It's water running. It's leaves rustling. It's a fire crackling. It's footsteps on dry leaves um that's pink noise and because humans evolved with nature with bare feet on the ground sleeping on the ground you may have heard of this process of grounding um that's pretty popular now just going out and standing barefoot on the ground um those negative ions from the earth and there's a frequency coming from the earth that our body attunes to and that we align with and um you know after all we're what 80 percent water potentially with nothing but minerals like we're of the earth literally and um i think we've forgotten that but but most people i've ever seen uh, you know set the stage for them to have a safe experience outdoors and they just relax right into it it's really beautiful so grounding is it's like a real thing it's a real thing it's a real thing <laughs> it's a real thing i'll be honest and do you teach it or do you like do people actually do it oh yeah people do oh i walk yeah. barefoot outside every chance i get I even do it in the winter, but I, but I, you know, I do it for the on cold snow. exposure on snow. 
Okay. Um, I, I can stand it for about one minute. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, then it's piercing my feet. Um, the cold, ex- cold exposure, you know, there's, that's a really hot topic now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of evidence, some in dispute that cold is really good for the body in many ways. It helps. Now we know it helps increase brown fat compared to white fat. White fat holds a lot of toxins and is the adipose tissue that we know holds disease and lends itself to overweight and obesity and metabolic difficulties and things like that. Whereas brown fat is a really healthy fat. It surrounds the organs. It's nutrient dense. It um, helps, you know, we need fats to uh, create hormones. That's more of what we digest, but but yeah, lots of benefits cold. And then grounding, there's something called a Schumann resonance, which NASA studied and found that the earth is emitting a frequency constantly. Surprisingly enough, that frequency is very aligned with our creative process. The frequency in the mind, um, which you know, you now you can go on YouTube and find any kind of frequency to tune into and listen to. That's the same as the earth. Um, another reason why- Do you why know they, what the frequency is? I have it in my book and okay. I, I want to say it's between like 3.9 and 4.7, but I should have memorized that before it's, I came in. It's okay. <laughs> I was just wondering, just curious, but it, it, I mean, is, does it just come down to energy? I mean, is it vibrations, energy, frequency? That's kind of what all this is, right? It's kind of what all that is. Everything around us. It's in the quantum. Yeah. Right. Which is fascinating. I don't know what that is, but I think I will agree with you. I almost, I have been tempted to go back to school to study the quantum biology right now, because it wasn't, there was no such thing as a quantum biology class when I was in school 25 years ago. Um, but yeah, because it hadn't been studied or discovered or maybe they, or at least certainly not published in Mm -hmm. a way that could be taught at the college level. But, um, but now, yeah, it's that whole concept of everything is connected. And, um, you know, if you're talking, I'm certainly no expert at energy and frequency aside from Schumann resonance and what happens to the human brain being outside. But we all know what, what it feels like to be in a room with somebody who's just negative and, and emitting that kind of, you know, frequency versus like being drawn to the positive. So I heard, um, I learned something really cool that, that really caught my attention this fall. It was, um, that it, and it was about trauma. And again, I've, I've gotten very interested in trauma due to, again, my, my own physical traumas and head injuries and everything else. Um, so now at the cellular level, they know that a cell is either in growth mode or it's in death mode, right? And protect mode. So growth mode is this open frequency. It's allowing nutrients through its cell walls and it's growing and it's thriving and it's Um, you know, supporting a healthy organism. So at the cellular level, that's happening at the traumatic, um, traumatized recoil. And you can see this in posture too, right? Like, like we all know what postures convey and um, a traumatized cell withdraws. It closes down its wall. It no longer allows nutrients in. It becomes very defensive and guarded and it's in protect this cell mode. Nothing gets in, right? That eventually leads to death of that cell. So if you think about it, the organism, um, that's how it impacts from the cellular level out. And there's a lot of research now that our environment is um, responsible for a lot of these physiological, mental, and physical responses that, that we're seeing in humans. I just went way off on a tangent. No, you didn't I, know we were going to talk about the quantum it. here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I want to. I want to dig into that. Um, uh, so, let's talk about how you got all the way to making an app. Let's let's go back a little bit. So, you, you were an athlete in high school. Yes. What did you do? Uh, so, I I was raised playing baseball and volleyball. So, I it, I at Orem High School. I played volleyball all four years and I played softball for a couple of that as a varsity player and then just played on my own after that. But okay. I was very, very competitive. And did you get a athletic scholarship to BYU or, or did you academic scholarship? No, I did not. Okay. Um, no, I actually went to Dixie college first, okay. the school formerly known as Dixie college for anyone familiar. It's now Utah Polytechnic university, I believe. Utah technical college, something Excuse like me, Utah, Utah Col- technical university. I don't, 
I'm a terrible I alumni. I'm going to have to look it up. I'm going to have to look it up. I can't remember. I always get it yeah. confused. I went there on an academic scholarship. Nice. And, um, you know, it's funny how coaches can make all the difference in the world for an athlete. I had a different volleyball coach all four years that I was in high school. So I never really had a, a coach that championed me. I'm also five foot seven. And if you play at the college level, you're probably six feet at least. Mm-hmm. So I was on the shorter side. Um, I probably wasn't going to play college volleyball. I was a really good softball player. Um, my, my father played college baseball. My, I come from just a baseball family, but uh, with the academic scholarship, I was afraid, you know, I needed that scholarship. So I think college, or, while I wish I could go back and play sports again, I did not. That's when I started getting more into the outdoor sports. Okay. And then, so you, you go to BYU and what yes. do you major in? Yeah, after, after Dixie, you go to BYU and what do you major in? Yeah, so I transferred to BYU as an athletic training major. Um, so I was accept, I was one of eight students accepted to athletic training in a very highly regarded national program. Um, spent about a year and a half doing that before I realized the career trajectory for an athletic trainer was not very promising. Um, at the time, I believe there were five female athletic trainers in the NCAA if you wanted to be an athletic trainer in high school, you had to also be a teacher. And um, my father is a highly acclaimed biology teacher, but I saw what he went through being a teacher in the state of Utah, and I I wasn't enthused to follow that same path. What was it that he went through? Um, just being not being valued. Yeah, you know, he won Science Teacher of America award. He taught all these AP classes. He gave his life to his students, and he was so underpaid. Um, so I have a huge amount of respect for tra- teachers and what they go through. Um, but I really didn't want to follow that same path. So, uh, so I opted, I changed my major from athletic training and I, at that point became a pre-med major and ended up graduating with a bachelor's in, uh, human physiology and developmental physiology. Okay. And then yeah. take, take us through <sighs> after BYU. What happened? I took a year off and I kind of went MIA and my, you know, very ambitious father put his head in his hands and said, I don't, what are you doing? You're throwing it all away. You just worked so hard. And what are you doing? What and, did you do during that gap year then? What uh, did you do? I, well, the part of me that thought I was going to be going to med school or going to physical therapy school. Right. And I just needed a break. It was five and a half years for me to get my undergrad due to that um, major change and so much science in these, in again, the body and the, and the nature side of things, I didn't know what direction to go. Um, so I did what any good Utah girl does. And I was a ski bum for the winter <laughs> and I got a job at, at snowbird waiting tables and I snowboarded my brains out until I realized I felt totally brain dumb, brain dead. And I just couldn't do this anymore. And then I hooked up with a friend from California and we moved out to the central coast and we waited tables for three months and we saved every penny. And then we went to Europe and we rode the trains for eight weeks. And uh, I forget how many countries we went to, but as we were talking before the podcast as well, I somehow ended up crossing the ocean from between Spain and landed in Morocco and it was 1998 in Morocco and um, just totally changed my life. Um, not only Morocco, but the, the experience of um, carrying everything I owned on my back. You know, there, this was pre credit card. I had a debit card with so much money in the bank. And then when the money was out, I had to go home <laughs> and, and that really, uh, it was such a formative experience for me. It, it took this, Utah girl who really hadn't traveled a whole lot. I, I've, I'd tra- my dad made sure that we were exposed to all the amazing national parks. We took a lot of road trips, um, but I had not been outside of the country aside from going to Tijuana, Mexico. So this was really eye-opening for me and gave me experience to cultures and people and um, made me a traveler through and through. I just got a, a real taste for it. And um you know, experienced homelessness, essentially, not that I was not privileged to be able to be riding trains, but I remember, um, oh, where were we? I think we were in the south of Spain 
and somebody around us, you know, had made a mess. And and we we were spat on and kicked and called, you know, dirty Americans and on the train or where were you? No, this was in the train station. Okay. Um and we were guilty by association of being around these other backpackers who really, you know, I think they left some food scattered on the floor or something like that. All of us were sitting on the floor and we looked pretty grungy. You know, this was like, maybe you find a hostel at night and maybe you don't, maybe you sleep in the train station because you arrived too late and you don't have a cell phone and you don't know where you're going. And, you know, it was a really, it was wild and it was a blast. And Morocco was just completely shocking in every way. Um, and because of that experience, I think that's what inspired me a lot to become a guide. Um, and I've tried to have amazing adventures around the world ever since with a couple of pauses here and there. Um, but um, after that was over, I was very skinny. I lost a lot of weight because the very act of finding food was <laughs> laborious and carrying my back was a lot of work. I came home like skin and bones <laughs> and, um, and I was ready to get a job. I was ready to go to work, but I needed that year break. I kind of needed that gap year that a lot of Americans don't take that a lot of other nations value and prize. And I still to this day, I will tell you that's the best thing I've ever done in my life because I learned again, the cultural things that you learn when you get to travel. Um, not only that, but I was ready to get back to work when I got home. And that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. And, and I kind of knew my direction too. So, um, I, so that's when I went to work as a wildlife biologist and, uh, took a job in Southern Utah studying endangered native aquatic species and walked every inch of water body, um, in a giant amount. I don't know if your listeners know the state of Utah, it's pretty big, but everything from the Colorado river on the East to the Nevada border on the West, all the way up to the Great Basin. Uh, uh, I'm forgetting my words. The West Desert um, in the North down to the Arizona border. So I pretty much walked every body of water working with any kind of fish that was native to Utah and endangered. And what did you do when you were walking those bodies of water? What were you, what were you writing down? Did you have a lab coat on? What, what were you doing? <laughs> no, we were actually clipboard. Yeah, lots of clipboards, okay. backpacks. Our uniforms were Tiva sandals and river shorts. We were, we were kind of the mockery. We were kind of mocked by a lot of the big game biologists in the state of Utah. You know, you think of a wildlife biologist and you think of deer and elk and mm -hmm. things hunting and no, no, we're like, we're the ones wearing like, river shoes and saying, you know, we're out there saving endangered species versus working with hunters and stuff like that. So some, sometimes we were quite unpopular. Um, but yeah, it was, um, the way you monitor a toad or a fish is you need to know, you need to know what their, uh, native territory is, their native habitat, and you need to know if they're reproducing every year. So we had our sections on the river where we would go out and you know, use a net to a seine to catch the fish. You measure them, you record everything. Um, and then you track that over time. So you're looking for trends in reproduction. So you tag them somehow? Uh, no, we never no. tagged. Okay. Mm -mm. Um, not the species I was working with. They're, mm -hmm. you know, much too small. I, uh, they may do that now, but we didn't. But, you know, when you, uh, when you work with the species over time and you see their numbers declining and um, amphibians and, and toads are really what you call an indicator species. If the environment is toxic and going downhill, you'll see frogs with multiple legs or not reproducing properly. I never saw anything with five legs or anything like that, but um, they're so important. Um, they're so critical. And, and the fact that so many people are completely unaware of this, that this really unique species, one of a kind, lives in our waters, but, but we're going to develop it anyway and drain it anyway, because a, a developer building homes is more important than keeping water in that system that has fed this ecosystem for years. Like it's, it's kind of unfathomable. So we had a large educational component as well. Okay. And then, so um, how long did you do that? So I did that for three years and okay. uh, yes. Yeah, so, so, so aside from just walking around with the clipboard and catching toads and fish, like sometimes I would camp for a full week and backpack 
and just go find things that we didn't know were there. So I, I ended up managing crews and hiring crews. So that's where I would say I got my, my chops as a guide and as a leader is picking a map, seeing what was on there, what hadn't been studied and then going. So, and I just love, I love that process. And again, maybe that's the adventurer in me or the discoverer. Um, um, again, it's a very physical job. It was very demanding, which for a 23, 24, 25 year old is great. So you didn't need to go to the gym. I did not need to go to the gym, but this is, so this is when I reentered fitness actually is I missed it. I missed what I studied. I missed my athletic life. Um, it turns out a lot of biologists aren't really people, people, <laughs> no offense, you know, but I was kind of this hybrid personality type and I missed it. So, so I actually, uh, got certified when I was 25 while I was working as a biologist and I started training clients in the studio two nights a week when I wasn't you know, on a big assignment or something. And then what took you to DC then? Well, even, uh, I kind of, I kind of got bored, honestly, as a biologist uh, in the role that I was in, you repeat these surveys every year, year after year. That's how you track what's happening. There's a real ceiling to the amount of money a biologist can make at that level. Um, so, you know, I just, I just felt, and this is again, the entrepreneur in me, like, um, I learn what I learn and then it's time to move on. I, I'm just not the personality type that's going to stay and just keep doing something over and over and over again. I want to keep learning and growing as a person. So, um, I, I moved to Salt Lake and I took a job with an environmental consulting firm and I started, um, it was a very technical writing, um, role working, writing environmental assessments, basically. And, and again, training, taking clients in Salt Lake city on the side, which wasn't super lucrative at the time. The environmental work was lucrative. And I eventually, after a couple of months in that role, I got offered a, like a one year sabbatical, if you will, a consultant position in Washington, DC at the general services administration, which a lot of people call kind of the armpit of the federal government. <laughs> no offense. I met some wonderful people there, but they're basically the real estate agent of the federal government. And um, so I took it. I had never wanted to move east to the East Coast. I had no desire whatsoever, but I was like, well, this is kind of awesome. And I would love that one year I can go do that. So I took it and the next thing you know, I'm living 10 blocks up, this, up the street from the Capitol building and putting on a suit and going to work in this old, ugly federal building. And like all of a sudden the wildlife that I'm responsible for monitoring, this was in 2002. I moved there in September, 2002. All of a sudden, this is a war zone, right? Not literally on our ground, but environment, my environment became protecting Washington, DC, approving anti-terrorism infrastructure going up, um, occasionally dealing with a deer herd on a military base in that area that needed to be taken care of or something else. But so I was completely a fish out of water. I was a very strong rider, so that was good. But um, I had a lot. I encountered a very steep learning curve, and um, again, learned a lot, but was utterly bored and unchallenged, and really not cut out to work in a cubicle at that time in my life. So pivoted. I thought, well, I miss fitness. I'm going back to fitness, and in order to do that, I have to get another degree. So. So I got accepted to George Washington University um, exercise science, nutrition, and eating behavior program, started a graduate program. As I do, got a little bored. Now I'd been out of school for six years and I'm in a master's program and I'm like, I need to work. Like I have to do something. And, uh, and I also was not on a scholarship right at that age. So I became a trainer and within three months I was just booked solid and I was loving it. And I was doing exactly what I was meant to do. And it was at that point that I uh, dropped out of grad school. Fortunately, that semester of classwork was really valuable, the eating behavior skills that I learned there. But I just, I just realized that I didn't need another degree to do what I needed to do and that I needed to accept that I didn't need to be everything to everybody. I needed to know who the people were that I needed in my network to send my clients to. And it was really um, liberating to, to realize that and, and make that exit. What was some of the um, tactics you did to get 
clients, what did you have to do any marketing or was it all word of mouth? It was all word of mouth. Okay. I was very, very so you're, you just did a good job with these clients and then they told friends or other people and then very much okay. um, with the exception that at the sports club LA, I mean, this is a very professional environment. You don't become a trainer at a place like that without a four-year degree, primarily in the related fields is preferable and a national certification. There's a fitness manager, there's a general manager, you know, again, this was a very well-respected curated group of people that I was working with. And as a result, you get the cream of the crop kind of clientele that's coming there. And um, so they would submit leads to the gym and say, Hey, I'd like to work with a trainer and the fitness manager would then match you up and say, okay, I think you're going to be a great personality for Melanie. And um, this is funny. And I did get a lot of word of mouth clients and, and Washington DC is a place where if you are trusted, if you're good at what you do, you're going to succeed no matter what you're doing because people value that. And I think also the level of client that I was working with and that all of us were working with there is like, you know, if, again, if you're trustworthy, you're going to do great because so many people are not that they're just not going to support you. It is a very small town. It is a very word of mouth town. And if you're not good, you're just not going to make it. So I was very fortunate. Um, I just took to it very well. And I think I, I think I brought a little bit of that Western, you know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't very, I'm not a very cynical person still. You could, you could say I'm still a little naive sometimes, but I just love people. I love human beings. And again, I love the body. So I ended up getting, it's funny because a lot of those people that were referred to me by my uh, manager might've been fired by another trainer. <laughs> really? Like, I'm not working with you anymore, yeah. dude. <laughs> You're fired. And we had the right to do that. We just say, Hey, this isn't working. You're mean to me. You don't show up for your sessions. Like you're wasting my time. Go. I don't want to work with you. And and um, a lot of people don't think that 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 that's the case, but it, it very much is. <laughs> so I would get these. I would get some really hard cases. <laughs> but you had the patience. I had the patience for it. Yeah. So that's how you filled up your clientele is yeah. word of mouth, and then some of these <laughs> these ones that were fired by other. Personal trainers. Yeah. And by no means was it all of them. And yeah, my, a lot of sure. my clients are like, wait, I was never fired by <laughs> anyone listening to this. And they were the majority for sure. But I learned a lot from these people. A lot, no matter who they were. And a lot of them were entrepreneurs or own oh. their own businesses or were they politicians or what? How There's just a mix of all that. There was a here. real mix. Yeah. Okay. But these were the people. I, I did have a couple of government, high level, high level, secretary level appointees in the government, some amba uh, ambassadors, um, a couple of professional athletes, but primarily small business owners. Yeah. And that's how you started learning about running your own business and getting kind of the entrepreneur bug. You were, yeah. you were an entrepreneur being a personal trainer, yeah. but actually establishing a business. You learned a lot of these things from your clients. Very much. What was the, what was the number one success story from that time in DC? You probably mm -hmm. have several, but. Like in terms of a client transformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Some of these, some of these really happened over years. Um, you know, stopping drinking, like literal alcoholism, supporting people through checking themselves into rehab, being part of the team, watching them come back to life and, and re-enter. And that, you know, it didn't always go, it did not always stick. It was not always happy. Um, it was really meaningful though, to be part of that inner circle. Um, and to realize that some of these people really don't have true friends. But so I always just felt so deeply complimented anytime somebody opened the door into their private life like that. I, I ended up, um, you know, it was not uncommon to for any of us in that group to be asked to house sit or dog sit or put on a private plane with a child to take them rock climbing in my case. Like me and the child, that's it. You guys are going rock climbing in California. Like what, an, is there any greater honor than someone asking you to do that for their child and give them that experience, you know? 
Um, right. So yeah, things like that were really, it was a really incredible, meaningful time. Mm-hmm. And so you started, you know, you started in DC in Hills, leaving <laughs> your Tevas behind, right? I and did. then, and then when you went back into personal training and started taking people on trips to Utah, yes, putting your Tevas back on, basically, yeah, right, and taking them hiking and different kind of nature, more nature uh, excursions. And then, what brought you back to Utah then? You know, I just, again, I'm a very, I'm quite an intuitive person. And one day I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was burning out. Sometimes I had 11 clients a day. In my final year in DC, I was training six days a week. And I just, I got a little caught up in the pace of life there. I got caught up in having a lot of clients in a really successful practice. And I didn't know my own limits and I was burning out, but I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to assess that, you know, um, but I was burning it at both ends because DC is also a very fun place and I had an amazing social life and I was going out a lot and having a lot of fun exploring up and down the East coast and everything. But, but I was a real workaholic, I would say just like a lot of people there are. And, um, so I was burning out. I was kind of sick. I was actually very sick. I think I had bronchitis or something. So I, I think I took the weekend off and I'm sitting in my bed and, like, and I just had this vision of Zion National Park. It was in broad daylight. And I just knew that if I could go there, I would be better. Like if I could just feel, and I, you know, I was just doing this visualization and I was imagining the sun on my skin and, and the red rock and, and these places that I just loved my whole life. I, I really was so homesick and landsick, even though I was thriving professionally but that part of me that needs that nature just was really dying inside. So, um, and I just felt like, you know, it was like, it's time to go now. And that was kind of my symbol. And I, within two months I had sold everything and packed up the Volkswagen golf with whatever was left. Mm -hmm. And I just hit the road. And, um, you know, in hindsight, I've been thinking about this more and more. Um, I didn't realize I did not realize this was in halfway to through 2009. So the market had crashed. Several of my clients were like, what are you doing? This is the safest economy in the entire world right now. You are doing great. Why would you leave here? And I kind of felt like, you know, you don't have those experiences, those strong impressions that say it's time to go now and deny them, or you're risking whatever the energy of life wants to bring to you next you're risking not getting that is how I felt. I felt very strongly about that. Um, was it naive? And yeah, a hundred percent. I didn't know where I was going. I knew I would land somewhere and, and train again. So I just, I like to say I got to Utah and I just kept going. Like I kind of couldn't get far away, far enough away. I ended up in California in 2009 and 10 and 11, which was a very difficult time to be in California but I also didn't realize the depth of how much I would have to grieve leaving all my clients and colleagues like that. Um, so I did what I thought was best for me and my future, but it was, it was devastating. And, and this was pre, you know, now everyone, you can at any time FaceTime a client and do a personal mm-hmm. training session with them from anywhere. You can have an app, you can have your online everything. Um, but it was, bef- it was a long time before that I had to walk away from all of that. So, so then I reached the West coast and, but all of a sudden mother nature's gym was now available to me. So I was in Santa Barbara and, um, clients were now like uber successful. They're not worker bees going to government jobs. They're, you know, investment banker billionaires mm-hmm. who are going to climb Kilimanjaro and you've got six weeks to get them ready for that. So that was like, all right, next level. Let's get you all your gear. I'll come to the house. I'll train you or you come to the studio. And then we're going to go to the Eastern Sierras and hike a 14,000 foot peak so that you can sleep on the ground in your tent afterwards and know how that feels because you've never done this before. And that was like, that was next level. And it was the next chapter for Webwell. At the time, my business was called Soul Fitness Adventures. And I built a name for myself doing those outdoor fitness retreats. So again, that was, you know, I started doing outdoor fitness retreats in 2007 and haven't looked back with that being a part of my business model. And so when you came back to Utah, you started establishing your personal training 
clients again here in Utah. Yes. And doing the work that you'd always done in DC and in California. Yes. Uh -huh. okay. And and again, I, I landed in Southern Utah first um, and eventually ended up back here in Park City with a few other chapters in there. <laughs> as, as any entrepreneur would tell yeah. you, right? There were times when the bootstrapping wasn't working and I had to go get a job. And then again, those skill sets came to play right time, right place. And then it was no longer the right time or the right place. So, yeah. Well, what's the, the best piece of business advice you've been given about entrepreneurship? Oh, this, the best piece I've been given was a client who um, came out from New York city, hired me to go to Mexico with him for 21 days to transform his life. Right. He lost 20 pounds. He quit smoking, converted his diet in 21 days, in 21 days. That was intensive and it was intense too. It was a, he really embraced it and it was challenging. It's probably one of the biggest challenges I've ever had as a trainer and opportunities. But I learned again, so much from him. He was so successful in his business, but yet his health was a total train wreck. He said to me, failure is just another brick in your building. And that really hit me strong because I was, you know, I've always been a little bit of a perfectionist, I think, you know, and you can't be that way as a, as an entrepreneur, you cannot be a perfectionist. It's messy. It, it doesn't always work. And, but the idea that failure is just another brick in your building is so powerful because you learn so much. And I have failed many times and things take me so much longer than I think they will. But every time I can embrace that idea and allow it, I can let go of that perfectionist side of myself and just really enjoy the journey again. I love it. I love that piece of advice. I love it a lot. Is there a book that you recommend the most to people? Is there a certain book that you, oh. that's your go-to to recommend to people? To oh, read? wow. I'm, I'm a, I'm an avid reader. So at any given time I might be reading two or three books. Um, Spark. I might say Spark, the science What's the subtitle? The Science of Exercise in the Brain, something like that. It's really powerful. It's um, for anyone who doesn't get that mind-body connection, this book will help. It talks about, and it's very applicable. Um, you know, it's it's the kind of thing like, okay, next time I get an urge to smoke a cigarette, I'm going to drop and do 10 push-ups. Um, it's the way you can use your body to, to change the trajectory that your brain is on. Um, I love recommending that one to my clients. It's really, really a great book. Okay. Well, um, I have a lightning round set of questions for you. Ooh, we'll just ooh. go rapid fire through these. <laughs> I love these. Okay. Yeah. So uh, what's your favorite candy bar? It's funny to ask a personal trainer what their favorite candy bar is. <laughs> oh, no. You better say, oh, no. you better say ears, one of those uh, protein bars or something. <laughs> no, what is it? You know, I lived on protein bars while I was backpacking in Europe and I haven't eaten them since. I bet. <laughs> um, Twix. I, have, I love Twix. Favorite musician or oh. musical artist? I love music. Um, oh, that's a hard one. It has to be one person, a one person musician. It can be, it can a, be band. a band. It could be Guns N' Roses. Okay. Yeah. Favorite cereal? Uh, I, I love granola. Is there a particular granola you're going to I've been eating a lot of, uh, um, not the high end stuff. It's like, it's like Bob's, Bob's mill. Is that what it's Bob's red mill or something like that? Okay. Yeah. Where do you get it? And at? the muse, the muesli and the granola. It's super okay. good. Harmon's. Okay. Yeah. Mac or PC? PC. Uh, excuse me, Mac. <laughs> Google or Microsoft? Google. Dogs or cats? <laughs> Uh, dogs. But I, I do like both. I don't have one though. Phantom or Les Mis? Ooh, Phantom. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what's something that most people don't know about you? Mm, I think a lot of people don't know how truly nerdy I, I am. That that's that the, the science nerd runs really deep and, um, that I, I actually, one of the scholarships I won going to co for college was for my insect collection in 4-H. And that I got to work behind the scenes at the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History as a docent in the insect collections. 
and it was a dream come true. <laughs> How old were you when you did that? Uh, oh, I was, it was while I was in DC. So I was, um, I don't know, 29. It really was a dream come true. It was amazing. They must have an amazing collection. There. It's phenomenal. It goes on and on and on and on and on around the world. And is this pins in an, an insect kind of in foam board or like, yeah. how do they do it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You put to pin an insect. Um, first you have to kill it in a way that doesn't break any body parts. And then you must pin it within the right amount of time so that it doesn't dry out. And then you set it. It really, this was my first form of meditation learning to respect what I had just this life that I had just taken and make it perfect. Cause you break a leg and now all of a sudden it's not showcase worthy anymore. And you just killed it for nothing. This was also my first ethical crisis. So I was about 14 when I encountered this for the first time. But, um, like I said, nerd. <laughs> oh yeah. But they're, they're in fo pinned in foam board in a, in a wooden box with a glass over the top and then locked in cabinets. Um, with formaldehyde, you put formaldehyde in the, uh, it's a preservative to prevent other insects from getting in there and eating these organisms. So again, just a, an important piece of science to inventory what's out there and know what's there and what their uses could potentially be. And people don't think you're a nerd because you're a personal trainer. Is that, is that what it is? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. And I think people look at me and they're like, okay. Yeah, here comes this personal trainer, outdoor girl, stand-up paddler, skier, traveler, you know. I, I think people don't really understand the depth that goes into becoming someone who knows how to work with a body. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. So how can people connect with you? Almost anywhere. Um you know, certainly download the Webwell app in the in the Apple Store, and then you can find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, the Gram. Um, message me through my website, webwell.com. What's your Instagram handle then? My Instagram handle is melanie.from.webwell. Okay, and we'll include all these links in the, uh, the show notes and the show page. But thank you, Melanie. Thank you uh, for being generous with your time, meeting me here at, here at Kiln Park City. I look forward to following your wellness and tech journey <laughs> and wish you all the success in your many endeavors. Kyle, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been really fun. <laughs>